You're listening to Straight from the Pulpit. Here you will find sermons taken directly from the pulpit of Shenandoah Baptist Church in Verona, Virginia. We preach Christ, study the Word of God, and help the Christian grow spiritually by applying God's Word to their lives. For more information or to read the pastor's blog, go to sbcverona.com. That is sbcverona.com. Matthew chapter 28. This is a passage that uh, is used a lot when it comes to soul winning, yes. But there's a specific part here of this chapter that I want to take a look at this evening and look at the fruit of our witness. The fruit of our witness this evening. We're going to start. Um, talking about the fruit of our witness uh, here over the next three weeks, but we're going to start talking about the response to the resurrected Christ. When we think about that time period, after Christ died, he was put in the grave, and then he resurrected, and word began to spread amongst his closest friends and disciples, and then even beyond that to other Christians. And of course, uh, the soldiers had to go home and uh, tell their leaders, and the Pharisees also found out that Jesus is gone, he's missing, and there's some unexplainable things that have occurred. How did people respond to the resurrected Christ? How would you respond to Christ? You know, one of the surest paths for, a Christ, for Christian growth is to engage in proactive and persistent witnessing for Christ. This will provide countless opportunities for spiritual growth. You know, as we grow in the Lord and we learn more about His goodness, we want to share that. As we grow in the Lord and learn more about His grace, or we experience more of His grace and mercy in our lives, we want to share that, or at least we ought to want to share that with somebody else. As Christ becomes the center of our lives, it's going to be impossible for us to keep the good news of salvation to ourselves. If I were to get involved in a new business of sorts, and uh, this new business was something I was super excited about, and I was taking some training and some classes, and I was purchasing new equipment, and I was just really putting my whole heart effort into this new venture of mine, no doubt it would come across as I spoke right? No doubt I would say something about it. Hey, how you been doing? What have you been up to? Well, let me tell you. And off I launch into a 20-minute explanation of something you didn't really want to know about. And it, I care so much about it, and so it's going to come out of my mouth. When a young person gets that puppy love crush, maybe their first crush on somebody else, they can't help but show it. It's written all over their face in bold print, uh, and sometimes they can't help but talk about those people. Sometimes we joke with the kids, you know, about, you know, this girl or that girl or this boy or that boy, but uh, ultimately they know they're not allowed to date until they're in college anyways. Um, one of them said they were going to wait until they're 70. That's fine. You go, I mean, it's not really fine. I want grandkids before I'm, you know, dead, but um, nevertheless, they know they're, they're not allowed to date anytime soon anyways. But, you know, when you fall in love with something or someone and it becomes central to your life, 
the central pillar that gets you up out of the morning, that puts you to bed at night, that, that one thought that your mind continues to return to throughout the day, it's hard not to talk about that thing. For some people, it's sports, you know. Uh, they think about football or basketball or whatever it is all the time. They watch shows about it. They watch games. They watch reruns of games. Uh, they're looking forward to the next one. They got the season tickets. It's just, it's something that's on their mind all the time. And so when they start just talking, you know, they got nothing else to talk about. What do they start to talk about? Sports. For some people, it's their family. It's their brand new baby or brand new puppy maybe that they got. For some, it's their career. Uh, for some, it's their favorite hobby. For some, it's any number of things that becomes a central pillar of who they are. There's a guy I went to Bible college with, and I'm ashamed to say this. Um, he's not necessarily the same guy he was uh, when I went to Bible college with him. Um, he now lives a homosexual lifestyle, and it isn't just an add-on to his life. It is the central thing that defines him. I happened upon his Facebook page yesterday, and I was, I was going through my old... Um, contacts and stuff on Facebook Messenger, trying to think, find everybody I could to invite. And I came across a conversation I'd had with him. And I thought, I wonder what he's up to these days. I know what he's been doing in the past. And I looked it up and every tag, everything on Facebook had, you know, gay and queer and th tags, parts of the image. Um, you know, a young man came from a Christian home, went to a Bible college, grew up in a Christian school. And now this is 100% central to everything about who he is right now. Uh, you know, part of the Boston men's gay chorus, uh, and just absolutely every post. That's it's, it's it's become what defines who he is. That's I think that's kind of an odd thing uh, to allow your uh, sexuality to define who you are. I mean, I don't post straight on everything that I post on Facebook. It, it doesn't become a part of my identity as to who I am. First, I am a Christian. You know, I am a husband. I am a father. I am a pastor. Um, my identity has nothing to do with my orientation, one direction or the other. You know, uh, I think it's an odd thing to choose that as your orientation. But we understand this, that when something becomes central to who you are, you can't help but talk about it. Acts 4.20 says this, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. You know what? I think one of the reasons that many Christians don't talk much about the Lord, don't tell other people about the Lord very much, is because they don't see much from the Lord. They don't walk with Him much. They don't talk to Him much. They're not seeing His hand involved in their affairs very often. And when they don't see the Lord very much, they're not going to talk about Him very much. As we are faithful in our witness, we're going to find that our growth in Christ is also spurred on. It's like a circle. You know, a growing Christian is going to be a witness, and a witnessing Christian is going to be a growing Christian. Why? Because a witness is grounded in reality. What reality? Again, they experienced it. They were there. They saw it. It was a reality to them. A witness for Christ is grounded in the reality that God's word is true, that we can have a personal knowledge of Christ, and specifically grounded in the reality that Jesus Christ is resurrected. Present tense. He is resurrected. He is alive. I think the resurrection has a whole lot to do with our witness. We wouldn't have a whole lot to say if he had never risen from the grave. 
We would not have victory to pass on if he had not risen from the grave. And so this text here, Matthew 28, that we're going to read, remember the context here. This is post-resurrection. He's already out of the grave, but it's pre-ascension. Okay, It's during that 40-day time period after he resurrected in bodily form, but he has not ascended up into heaven yet. Look at, um, let's see, verse 16, Matthew 28, verse number 16. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, what did they do? They worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 6, it says this, After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. We read about several folks, a lot of folks, over 500 people, that got to see Jesus, the resurrected Jesus Christ, before his ascension. Acts 1, verse 1 says this, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I can only imagine. Imagine, you know, what would it have been like to have been a disciple walking with Christ? I've talked about that recently. What would it be like to have heard Jesus himself? explain the connection of Old Testament scripture to himself. Imagine getting to hear Jesus himself tie the two together in person. You think to yourself, man, man, if I could just share the gospel like Jesus could, man, if I could just tie Old Testament, you know, sacrificial process to the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, man, if I could just tie it together the way Jesus would, everybody would get saved. Well, we know that's not true because Jesus did it, and yet many rejected him. Man, what, one is, what must it be like to hear him explain from the Old Testament scriptures his purpose for coming to the earth, and also to hear his instructions? Now he's come, he's done his what he came to do. He's died on the cross, he's secured forgiveness for sins. He's resurrected and defeated death, defeated Satan, defeated hell on our behalf. What's he doing here for 40 days? You know, what does he have to do? Why didn't he just go? I think there was still some instruction that he had to make. However, of these 40 days, we really only get one particular command from Jesus. Can you guess what that is? One particular thing that Jesus commanded his disciples do. Well, we just read it in Matthew 28 at the end of the chapter. One command, go. Go, baptize, teach. He just tells them to go, baptize, and teach. 
right before he ascends to heaven. What is the most important thing that Jesus wants to get across to his followers at his last, in a sense, his last physical moment on this earth before he goes? Go, baptize, teach. This is the job of the Christian. Yes, it's the the job of the disciple turned apostle. Yes, it's the job of the preacher, but it is the job of the Christian. It is the job of the local independent church to go baptize and teach. So I asked before, what was the response to the resurrected Christ? What would your response to the resurrected Christ be? Imagine you are walking down the hallway, you're in your living room, you are heading down to the tomb, you're sitting around the table with friends or family, and there, in the room with you, is a living, breathing, resurrected Jesus Christ. You know who it is. How would you respond? Would you express your love and your gratefulness for He who who gave his all for you? How are you going to respond when you see him in heaven? Like that song, just think of stepping on shores and finding it heaven, of touching a hand and finding it God's. What would you do when you lift up your eyes in heaven and see the face of Jesus Christ for the first time? Maybe you have a speech prepared, probably not. (laughs) Maybe you haven't given too much thought about it yet. But you know what you'll probably do? The same thing the disciples did. The same thing Mary and Martha did. The same thing Thomas did. They worshipped him. What else can we do? That's what we see in the book of Revelation when Jesus Christ comes before the throne of God and there's the whole crowd there. What do they all do? They fall down and they worship him. What else can we do? I have no question worthy of asking. I have nothing worthy of being said or done in his presence. Who are these people who worship him here? Look at verse number 16. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped. Here's one instance. I'll let you adopt the pronoun they. Other than that, you need to keep your he, she pronouns. And you don't need to go get talked into switching those things. Um, but I'll give you permission just this, wom- this moment to be a they, okay? Who is this they? Can you identify yourself with this they? Well, what about Mary Magdalene and the other women? They were the first to see Jesus Christ. They came to the tomb to anoint his body with spices. When they got there, they were not expecting a resurrected Jesus. They were expecting a dead Jesus. They were expecting to embalm the body of a dead friend. Maybe their faith was a little weak at the moment. They fully expected to see him there. In Matthew 28, the very first verse, it says this, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. The angel said he's not there. Moments later, they saw Jesus with their own eyes. And what did they do? Look at verse 8 of Matthew 28. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, All hail! And they came and held him by the feet 
and worshipped him. No doubt they had a million questions. What in the world? (laughs) How are you alive? We watched you die. Please explain this to us. What's going on here? What are we supposed to? I I, I could think of many, many, many questions that I might consider asking if I were them. And I wasn't even there in that moment. Remember Thomas? Thomas, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto them, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I see his hands and the print of the nails, and put my finger in the print of the nails, and thrust my hand to it aside, I will not believe. But when Thomas actually found himself in the presence of the resurrected Jesus, he said, My Lord and my God. Hey, that's a powerful passage right there, speaking about the deity of Christ. My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. What does Thomas do? He worshiped my Lord and my God. Maybe, maybe others might have said, well, how? Or what was the gimmick? Or what was the trick? How did you cheat death? Thomas stood there and the only words that could come out of his mouth at that point in time, before he had plenty of words, I won't believe it. I won't believe it till I see it. But then when Jesus stood there, he didn't have words of doubt to speak anymore. He had nothing left to say but worship for God. You know, this should give great hope towards those who tend towards skepticism and unbelief. Why? Because the doubts vanish when we believe in the resurrected power of Jesus Christ. I think it's important that it's included in Romans 10, 9, and 10. That thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Why is the resurrection included in there? To help free us of our doubts. They vanish when we believe in the resurrected power of Jesus Christ. Who else is, who else is they? Well, there's obviously those who are present here at Christ's ascension. His final moments on earth those who knew him best, those who knew that he was indeed God, well, it says in verse number 52, and they worshiped him. And I'm sorry, Luke 24, uh, wrong book, wrong chapter. Uh, Luke 24, 51 says this, and it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Makes me think of standing at the wedding reception and you blew bubbles or threw seed or released balloons or I don't know, did stuff to pigeons, whatever they did, you know, at at the wedding reception. And as you walk down the sidewalk, you probably, you know, ladies are picking rice all out of their hair and dress and stuff. We didn't do that. I think we did bubbles, right? I don't know. I was a little preoccupied at that point. Um, thinking about other things, but, uh, you go out there and you get in the car and you start to pull out. And suddenly, the reason for all of these people being there is gone. (laughs) The bride and the groom, they have left. Now, we only went a couple hundred yards down the road because we didn't have time to grab any of our stuff, uh, any of our gifts or anything like that. And so we had to go and sit in the parking lot someplace and wait for people to bring it to us uh, because they were getting shoved out the door. But all of a sudden, the reason you are, are gathered together is gone. Now it's just clean up, pack up, and go home time. Here, they're standing, they're having a worship service with Jesus, and he's right there, and then he ascends up into heaven, and they watch, and this is amazing, and they're singing hymns, and then he's gone. And it'd be a joyous time. I wonder how much it felt like a letdown, like, oh, he's gone. He said he's going to be back, and he said the Holy Ghost is going to come. 
But man, he's gone. I sure wish he was still here. What was the response to the resurrected Christ? It was universally worship. The only way for our witness for Christ to be sustained is that it is first rooted in this, understanding who Jesus is and wanting to personally give him our heart's deepest worship. The only way our witness for Christ will be sustained. It's easy to get into little spurts. I have a little spurt of you know, fire and I'll, I'll, I'll be a witness for Christ. And then it'll be several months again before I get another little spurt. Uh, to go out there and be, you know, a witness for Christ or be on fire for the Lord. And, and then there may be a dry time or a cold period for months or even years. And then there'll be another little spurt. How do I sustain that? With an understanding of who Jesus is. And wanting to give him our heart's deepest worship. You say, I'd have never forgotten who Jesus is. That may be the case. But no doubt the world and your flesh have taken your eyes off of him and put it on other things from time to time. And it's during those times that you forget who Jesus is. Not that the knowledge is no longer there, but the focus isn't. And you've turned your focus to other things instead. But we need to be rooted in it. It needs to be where we just are. You want to produce spiritual fruit? Your roots you have to pay attention to. Being rooted in who Christ is and wanting to give Him your heart's deepest worship. An artist, a music artist, goes out on the stage and the crowd goes wild and they cheer and they wave their cell phones around and they make all sorts of noise, and they're willing to stand there in front of speakers that are deafening them for two hours or more straight just so that they can be close to that, that guy or that girl standing up on stage because they're a star. Actors get the same recognition. You know, athletes, politicians get the same recognition from folks. And we have this internal desire to worship people who have done wonderful or amazing or what we perceive to be amazing and wonderful things. But I think we have taken that idea of worship, which we, is ingrained in us. We want to do it, and we've placed it in all of the wrong places. Our worship, our heart's deepest worship, needs to be purposefully placed upon Jesus Christ. So the people of worship. We looked at them. They came into contact with the resurrected Jesus Christ. How amazing. What about the reason for worship? Why did they? Why did the disciples of Christ worship him? Well, the first answer is fairly obvious because he's worthy of worship. Revelation 4.11. Remember in Revelation chapter 4, they're looking for somebody to open the seals to the book. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. In Revelation 5.9, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us unto God by Thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation 
Yes, he is the creator and we should worship him because he is the creator. But also he is the redeemer. And we need to worship him because he is worthy of our highest worship. I was still living in Florida when Michael Jackson died. And I remember hearing even some of the church folk and some of the Christian school kids saw them cry because this pop star died. Talking about how their parents were upset and their parents wanted to watch, make sure they got to watch the funeral. Talking about how influential this pop star was to this culture, to that culture, and how they were going to be missed. Sometimes a basketball player or a football player or a music star or an actress or actor will die and uh, it's on the news and everybody's talking about it. I don't personally understand that sort of thing. If I don't know them, if I've never met them, I don't have any emotional attachment to them. I'm not going to be too concerned. I may wonder whether or not they were saved, whether they went to heaven or hell. But that person isn't worthy. Oh, they may have had a great singing voice, or at least they had a very good sound engineer that made it sound like they had a great singing voice. Maybe they had a great band surrounding them to make them appear to be good. Maybe they were a pretty decent actor, or they were just good looking and an okay actor. But what have they really done that is worthy of worship, that is worthy of praise? Hey, you know, somebody goes and they win the the Medal of Honor. They win it not by gambling, maybe. Not in that sense, but they win it by by being selfless and hazarding their life, sometimes to the loss of their own life, to save others. I was just told Colton about my uncle who, back in Vietnam, you know, went into a helicopter crash to go and save some people, and uh, was injured by an explosion in the midst of that, and uh, got a Purple Heart. Um, you know, as a result of you know going into you know, being injured while going in to save some of those folks. You see, that is at least worthy of some praise. And hey, maybe if somebody's very talented, that's worthy of some praise. But who is worthy of our deepest devotion and praise? Some will plaster their posters of artists and actresses all over their walls as if they are worthy of their deepest praise. They'll have all of their song lyrics memorized to the very T. They will know their favorite food and they will know their favorite color. Why in the world would they be worthy of our highest and deepest praise, but not God? Well, he is creator. He is redeemer. He is worthy of our highest worship. Worship means to ascribe worth or to kiss toward. You know, if we worship somebody in our physical posture, it it, it comes across as bowing down before them. I am placing myself beneath you, submitting to you as if I am nothing in comparison to you. We express worship to God by bowing before Him. That's why we bow our heads when we pray. Why? It is an outward sign of humility. We are bowing before God as if we are coming into His throne room. And that is because we are entering into the throne room of the King of Kings, entering into the throne room of God. And so we bow our heads in humility before him. In Psalm 95, 6, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Now we can be physically obedient by bowing down, but yet our heart not be rendering obedience at the same time. If our heart is not bowing down, 
before Christ, then our body bowing down is nothing. That's why the disciples not only bowed, but they also gave their lives. It wasn't just the outward, but also the inward, which means everything. Because Jesus is the embodiment of truth. Like he said in John 14, 6, where he says, I am the truth. I am. My embodiment. I am literally the truth. In John 4.24, we're reminded that God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. When the disciples worshiped Christ, they weren't just looking at him as another prophet or as a higher level disciple. They didn't look at him as a teacher. They What they realized is they, they were looking at the very Son of God. And to look at the face and then try to ascribe that glory to him, the truth in the flesh. What separates my children from every other child out there? When I look into the face of this child, this one is mine. Now, I may not say it anywhere on the skin, but this one is mine. And that's why it's so special to me. It may not be as special to you, even though my kids are pretty special, you know, but this one is special to me because it's mine. So all the time I tell Sissy, you're my favorite little girl. Well, she doesn't have anybody to, 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 to battle with on that one. Colton, he was my favorite little boy until Carter came along. And then he had to be my favorite big boy. Then because Carter was my favorite little boy. And then Camden came along and now Carter's, or Colton's still my favorite big boy. And Carter's my favorite middle boy now. And Camden's my favorite little boy. Um, and, uh, it's okay for me to say that, you know, that I love them or like them more than anybody else's kids. Well, because they're mine. That doesn't mean I don't love other kids, but I love these are special because they are mine. When they looked at Jesus, there was more than just the physical features of his face and his shoulders and the clothes he was wearing. When they looked at him, he was special to them because... He was their Redeemer, their Messiah. He was God in the flesh. Another man may have looked at Jesus and saw just another man. But when his disciples saw him, there was something special. We're told in John 1.14 that the Word, capital W, referring to Jesus, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Full of grace Praise the Lord that his reservoir of grace is never ending. And he's full of truth too. But you see, the idea of worship today has been watered down and adulterated. Today, it's a lot of loose-lipped worship where people thrive on the emotional experience of worship. But yet their lives remain unchanged, untouched by the truth. Worship is not supposed to be a Sunday morning emotional high that fizzles out during the week into fleshliness. Real worship is recognizing who Jesus truly is, and it changes us. You cannot help but look into the face of Jesus, understand who He is, and it not change you. True worship is transformational. It doesn't come and go as the beat fades. As the smoke, you know, goes away. True worship is an everyday experience for a Christian. 
It is what occurs when we sit down and we begin to talk to Him. Like the model prayer, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Beginning at the very beginning there with worship for God. It is an everyday thing. We go before His throne and we worship Him. I don't need fast-paced music with the right chord changes. I don't need the... um, change of keys at the right time and for the tempo to pick up at the right time. I don't need the lights and the smoke to all be coordinated perfectly with the worship artist. I don't need uh, the the guy in the sound booth to turn up the, uh, the drum booth at just the right time to increase the emotional experience for there to be worship. Worship is what occurs when you are alone with God. No music necessary. You are alone with Him, and you recognize whose presence you are in. And then you can't help but worship Him. Worship that is based on truth is going to be a life-changing worship. You know what true worship does? You know what true worship exalts? It does not exalt the musician. It does not exalt the team It does not exalt the pastor or the church. It does not exalt the original author or artist or arranger. True worship is going to exalt only one thing, and it's not even going to be the hearer. True worship is going to exalt the truth of who Jesus is. Oh, there's a whole lot of quote-unquote spiritual songs out there that talk about Jesus, many of them don't even mention the name of Jesus. You could easily substitute in Fred or whatever boy or girl you like in for this love song that was apparently meant for Jesus, but it doesn't say it anywhere. And even if it does say Jesus, what is it really telling me about him? Sometimes there's some good content there, and sometimes, many times there is not. Because they've removed the truth of who Jesus is and replaced it with emotion. That's what true worship does. Worship, true worship, it exalts who Jesus is. The book of Acts and history tell us that after the disciples worshipped the resurrected Christ, they turned the world upside down. Acts 17.6 tells us this. And when they found them not... They drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if somebody were to accuse Shenandoah Baptist Church of turning this county upside down or of turning Verona upside down? Can you imagine if if they were to come and there was maybe some soul winners out there and they couldn't find them, so they grabbed the first people that went to Shenandoah Baptist Church, they could find, maybe you, and dragged them into this theater and said, these folks have been causing havoc in Augusta County. They have been getting the bars shut down. They have caused all of the, you know, idol worshiper, you know, the idol makers to lose money. They're causing havoc in our town by promoting Jesus, by promoting holy and right living. We need them to stop. We, can you imagine if they were to be able to ascribe that kind of potency to the members of Shenandoah Baptist Church? Now, I know we're not the only church in Augusta County. Can you imagine if the Christians of Augusta County 
were to get up and turn it upside down. And this was just a few. Augusta County is a pretty conservative county. And it certainly is a very religious county. Imagine if the Christians were to get on fire, what would happen? The disciples' worship wasn't just mere emotional expression, though. Although, you cannot adequately worship God without there being some sort of emotion. Oh, God, you are good. You know, if you truly believe God is good, and you're going to feel it too. It isn't just emotion. It is emotion that is, that is caused because of truth. Not emotion that is caused because of the chord progression. Or emotion that is caused because of the audio and the visual mixed together. It is emotion that is caused because of truth and what you experienced because of that truth. No, their worship wasn't just emotional expression. Their worship was an expression of their hearts that had been genuinely changed by the truth. You see, the disciples had every opportunity in the world to stop what they were doing before things got dangerous. The disciples had every opportunity in the world to say, you know what? It's getting a little too heated here in this town for me. I'm going to go lay off this witnessing thing for a while. And I'm going to wait till people are more amenable to it or go someplace where they're more likely to listen to me. But this isn't what they did. All but one of them would die a martyr's death. So no, their worship wasn't mere emotion. Because you know where, where emotion goes when trials come? Out the window. Is your worship real? Well, what happens to you when hardships come? What happens to you when the trials come? What happens to you when the devil attacks? Where is your worship then? You want true worship? It is based upon the truth of who Jesus Christ is. It is based upon the truth of the word of God. That is what we need to be worshiping God for. We worship Him in truth. When we have a true heart of worship, which, frankly, is the only reasonable response to a resurrected Christ. Remember I asked you at the beginning, how would you respond to a resurrected Christ when you see Him? How will you respond when you see Him? There's only one way we truly can respond. With real worship then we have the proper foundation to witness from. Not witnessing from a coldness or a religious deadness, but witnessing from a vibrant relationship with God. That's what we're supposed to be witnesses testifying of. It is when our witness is rooted, as I said before, in the reality of who Jesus is, then our witness bears fruit for the Lord. And as I said before, we don't always know. We don't always know what form that may take on. That witness may meet with open arms, this individual or that individual. Our witness or testimony may be met with hostility by this individual or that individual. But our witness does not come and go with emotion. Our witness comes with the truth and stays with the truth. 
Because the truth is the word of God and it is here to stay and it will never pass away, the Bible says. Our truth is Jesus Christ. And he is alive, not dead. He's not a spirit. He's a real and living human being who is also God. So, what will your response be to a risen Christ? Let me ask this. What is your response right now to a resurrected Jesus Christ? The resurrection of Christ is is central. Just like we talked about the last three weeks. You say, well, why does this have to do with bearing fruit? You know, (laughs) it starts here. It's rooted here in the resurrection. And because of that, we worship him. And then we cannot help but be a witness and testify of that which we have experienced, of that which we have been saved from, of that which we have hope towards in the future, of that which God is doing in our life even now, if we're watching, if our eyes are open, if our ears are listening to the Holy Spirit's movement and work in our lives now, then we can testify too of what he's doing now to others and be a testimony and a witness. We will continue to talk next week about the resurrected Jesus Christ and the revelation of the resurrected Jesus Christ when we gather together again next Sunday evening. You've been listening to Straight from the Pulpit podcast from the pulpit of Shenandoah Baptist Church in Verona, Virginia. Be sure to follow this podcast and share this sermon with a friend. And if you're listening on Spotify, please leave us a five-star review. See you next time.